Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle, stuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play, they get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and on today's show, and then there were four conference championship games are set. We'll review the divisional round playoffs, a great for some of football games, plus a ton of your mailbag questions, and we'll continue our Senior Bowl preview with the receivers and tight ends. From somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. How fitting is it that in this strange season where seemingly every single week there was a massive upset in the National Football League, and no teams were really, truly dominant from wire to wire, from bell to bell this season, that we get three road teams winning on divisional round weekend and damn near four with a quarterback who played basically a perfect game and lost in Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills. What a tough way to end your season there. But I always enjoy seeing, you know, all three phases clearly contribute to the outcome and kind of kill the discourse about how the only way to compete this time of year is with, you know, one of three or four quarterbacks. And do not get me wrong, those guys certainly help you substantially in your pursuit of a championship. But once again, we learn here as we move to the final four that it's not just one recipe to get all the way home. And one other hot topic out there is about the value of the running back position that came to be about, I don't know, four, five, six, seven years ago, longer than that, maybe. I've always disliked that, though, because I felt like there was a bit of a blanket statement feeling to that idea for folks to say that it doesn't matter who you put at running back because running the football no longer matters because the impact on the outcome of the game is significantly less so than throwing the football. That's the thought process, right? At least in some circles. Hard disagree, obviously, with that. And I understand the conversation about efficiency between the running game and the passing game and being slanted much more heavily in favor of the aerial assault. But that's a much different conversation about about a statement about running backs not mattering. And what about when you go empty with a back who can run routes as a receiver? What about pass protection? What about explosive runs that factor into big drives and helping control the clock in games? I don't know how you can watch that Rams team with Cam Akers back in the lineup and say that offense didn't change pretty drastically for the better with his inclusion into it. So that was something else I thought was a big takeaway from this weekend. And the overarching theme I thought here was or those were two of the overarching theme with the Niners pulling off a victory that certainly adds to the whole value of the run game discussion as well as for the games what a brutal way for the Titans to go out going from thinking you're basically two first downs away from the AFC championship game for the second time in three years to a turnover then the Bengals get their 20 yards they need to eliminate you and also how about the value of a rock solid kicking game I mean I think the only miss there was the one with Harrison Butker in the Chiefs game this weekend. Maybe there's one other one that I'm forgetting about, but you got to have a kicker, you know, a kicker capable of going 36 for 39 for you in a season and really kick big clutch field goals this time of year. Seems like all those teams had that figured out. 49ers and Packers, my takeaways that we should never apply too much to one game because literally anyone in this league, in fact, in a season, everyone will have a bad game, more than one bad game. I'm very happy for Kyle Shanahan and that Niners team, though. Even if it does impact the Dolphins' first-round pick, I'm a fan of that operation. I find it very easy to root for. 
Rams and Bucks, what a game that was. I had the Rams representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, so I'm pretty happy about that. I'm a big Matt Stafford fan also. Always was since that first season of his career back in Detroit when they were like 3-11 and and he led a comeback in a game with a dislocated shoulder in a game that meant nothing in the grand scheme of standings. And I can't believe it came down to the way this game did at the end of that. I mean, Brady remains just unreal. But I'm always for new blood in the playoffs and with Stafford. Cool to see him get deep into the playoffs his first year here with the Rams. And then just finished up watching Chiefs Bills before hitting publish on this podcast. Look, you're going to have to have a quarterback that can go head-to-head with one of those guys in the postseason. What a battle that was. I mean, I, I consider this all the time. Should you play the game with the idea of draining the clock as just as important as scoring the touchdown to go ahead late in the game against a quarterback like Josh Allen or Pat Mahomes? Because both these teams traded blow for blow there. I mean, Bills touchdown, Tyreek touchdown, then 13 seconds left for Mahomes, and he gets it done. I said going into that, whoever won that game was going to win the Super Bowl. I still feel good about that. I had Chiefs-Rams in the Super Bowl back in my September predictions podcast. I still feel really good about that. I think it's who's going to be in the Super Bowl this year, and I'll take the Chiefs to win it like I had back in that poll as well. What a great weekend of football that was. I don't know if we'll get a a weekend of games, of, of playoff football games that good again for a long time, so I hope we all really enjoyed that. I sure as hell did. And so just like that, there are three football games left in the 2021 season, and we have the Senior Bowl, wedged in there as well. So four more games in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be without the National Football League until August for preseason, September for the regular season. So a long stretch here without football in our lives, unless you count the USFL, which is kicking off this spring. But I digress. So with that, the offseason is getting even closer now, and I want to go ahead and open up some mailbag questions from y'all. And you guys did not disappoint putting in, I think it was 55 questions in the user mailbag on Twitter. We're going to do these periodically here. And we do this one every single week, regular season. We'll do them, I don't know, bi-weekly once a month here during the off season and certainly around the temple events. But let's go ahead and kick this thing off with at Sean underscore 305. What type of coach do you prefer for the Dolphins the most? One, the hotshot coordinator with no head coach experience. Two, an experienced head coach getting his second or third or, or whatever job it might be. Third, college head coach or fourth other well, you know, Sean, I'm glad you asked because I really don't think there's, you know, any one secret sauce and that goes for team building, for coaching styles. Look around the league, Sean McDermott and Bill Belichick in our own division, two of the very best in the game, both cut their teeth on the defensive side of the football. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, those guys satisfy that successful hot coordinator, hot shot who came in and had success. The second time head coach, well, that's what Don Shula was. It's what Bill Belichick was. More recently, Ron Rivera won a division title in his first year of stop number two. We've seen John Harbaugh go from special teams coordinator to one of the top five coaches in the National Football League, in my opinion. And conversely, we've seen hirings under all those umbrellas not work as well. Here's what I believe is important. Leadership, someone capable of collaborating and delegating to a strong staff, who is supported in a way that makes their job as easy as it possibly can be. None of these jobs are easy. This is a tough racket coaching. A person who can relate to the modern player, connecting to them on a professional and personal level, who can find that blend of old school toughness and new age explanation behind here's why we're doing what we're doing. 
I think it's important to have someone schooled in all areas of the game, schematics, understanding when you just got to trust your best players and athletes, knowing how to manage the clock, end of game situations, your challenge flags, all of that stuff is just so, so crucial in a fine margins league. And as much as I'd love to sit here and tell you that I don't know which coaches will work and which ones won't. I mean, I've mentioned this before. The more you learn about this league, the more you realize how little you actually know. And when it comes to identifying a great coaching candidate, how can we possibly know that without spending time with them face-to-face, seeing how they've worked in the past, talking to references? I mean, if you're not involved in the process, how can you really know? So my hope is that the new coach can check those boxes that I previously mentioned. Next question from at Eli JTS, in your review of the tape, did you see defenses play us differently that led to Tua's reduced efficiency? And that's in reference to the post by four games after uh, after the bye week in the Jets game to kick that off. I think the teams down the stretch the Dolphins face were more inclined to eliminate the pass off of the RPO looks and force Tua to hand it off more. And the conflict that package creates when you're Selling out to stop the run makes defending the pass very difficult. I think there was more of that, but in general, I mean, not really. I think Tua needs to use this offseason to kind of look at those pressure packages the team sent and identify his hot answers more quickly. That's something that usually comes with time at the position, and he can take strides in that area, certainly. And when with the pre-snap and the mental and the things that I've talked about so many times that make up the vast majority of your snaps as a quarterback opposed to the off-script stuff. Just be better in those areas that we really projected him to be better in or be a good prospect in those areas, I should say. That'll take him a long way towards improvement and kind of getting over that hurdle. And if he can do that and take strides in those areas, the, t- the stuff that you know takes time to develop and master, then I think he'll be more than fine. But the difference is, you know, fewer downhill steps on RPO and teams really put an emphasis on Jalen Waddle, which... I'm surprised didn't happen earlier, to be quite frank. Next question here from JD Fence Fan. With Tua in mind for one more season, how many pieces are we away from a playoff winning team and what pieces slash positions are they? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? I think the roster right now is good enough. We saw a lot of teams dispatched on wildcard weekend a couple weekends ago who had the same or similar records to the Miami Dolphins. And we lost three of five games there between Las Vegas, Jacksonville, and Atlanta on last second field goals and one of those games Tua didn't play so to answer that part I think this team won nine games and the vast vast majority of the pieces that provided the most contributions to those nine wins would be coming back to the football team now every team needs upgrades you mentioned offensive line yeah it's it's got to be better there's no ways around that from every grading metric or pressure counts or just using your eyeballs it's got to get better on the offensive line now I'm not going to sit here and say redo the whole thing because that's to me not realistic and you at some point you have to have faith in your own scouting developing process and what you believe you you know you had in certain players that you took early in the draft you have to get development and growth from your incumbents because if you don't do that you're going to be in a tough spot and I know I've talked a lot about flexibility but you do have to also, in addition to that flexibility, hit on said you know, acquisitions and develop and get improvement there. But that said, I think there's a lot of reasons to say that we need to upgrade you know, that offensive line group. And if worst case scenario, some of the starters from this year are moved into backup roles, well, then I would love the possibility of having that depth there because I think that that would only mean that the entire offensive line has seen upgrades at not just the top five spots, but the reserve spots as well. 
Now, from the previous question, I think you need more consistent reliability, really, at all the skill spots. Outside of Waddle, it was kind of a shuffle for the second go-to receiver in the offense, go-to pass option. I'd love to see another separation artist added like Jalen Waddle. I mean, shoot, that's what I thought, you know, Will Fuller brought to the table. And you guys remember how excited I was about the offense with the two vertical and horizontal stretch guys of a Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle. We never really got a chance to see that. I mean, they played together for a couple of games and neither of those games had Tua in the, in the lineup. So I think some of some more explosiveness there and also at the running back position could certainly help. I thought I thought Duke ran really, really well when he got his chance, but more of that firepower for the whole season. And then defensively, depending on what happens with Ogba, you might need to address the defensive end spot. I mean, I think I, I think that's it could be Jalen Phillips and Andrew Van Ginkle, but you don't want to be just too deep there in terms of guys that you know can produce at a high level. And then I might look at the Mike linebacker position that can maybe help free up a little bit more of Jerome Baker to move all over the formation. Cause I thought that he got he saw a huge leap in production, in my opinion, when he started playing more off the edge and doing multiple things like he is wont to do in this defense. So that, and also you got to be better on special teams. I mean, there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of emphasis towards signing players that were exclusively special teams guys and paid, you know, requisitely in favor of, you know, potentially day three picks to round out those spots paid free agent contracts and the Dolphins special teams ranked 29th in DOA. So that also has to get better and more efficient for what it's being paid to do as well. So that's a a few of the things I think you can look at. You can always look to upgrade the entire roster, but those are the places I think you might start this off season. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back with some more mailbag questions. And also we'll go continue the preview of the senior bowl by taking a look at the receivers and tight ends coming up in next week's senior bowl practice and game drive time podcast, Travis Wingfield. Enjoying the mailbag here so far, our first off-season mailbag edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right back in with some more of your questions. Appreciate you guys putting out those questions on the Twitter mailbag that I posted last week, and you guys really came through with several questions here. This one from at C. 12 on Twitter. How much does the public announcement that Tua is the guy hurt the head coaching search? I feel as this, this really restricts the candidates as usually the head coach wants to choose his guy. And does this make Dayball the front runner now? Uh, To your first question, no, not at all. I mean, first, the Dolphins haven't made any type of declaration themselves. So I want to be clear about that. But aside from that, almost nobody has more future resources to work with than the Miami Dolphins in terms of cap space and draft capital two first round picks next season if you determine you need to make a a change of the quarterback position you could be one year away from two picks in a class that has potentially cj stroud potentially bryce young potentially grayson mccall and uh, cj stroud is a hell of a player (laughs) but there are options there which which has been you know by design every offseason for this club under the current regime and makeup so flexibility continues to reign supreme there great question Next question from at John J. Vogel. Two questions, he says. How high do you value Calvin Ridley and what impact would a combination of him and Waddle have with regards to creating more opportunities for Gasicki slash a tight end? And number two, what little Dicky verse or song best applies to Tua? Thanks. <laughs> well, we can't talk about Calvin Ridley. He's on another club. I think he's a fantastic players and a, a fantastic player, I should say. And it kills me to see people commenting on his situation this past season. You know, mentals are very important. I commend the hell out of him for taking care of his. Plus the reason he stepped away from the game was absolutely tragic. So a big fan of Calvin Ridley's, but he's on another team. So we don't talk about that. But I do agree that more weaponry to the arsenal is very important. Your second part, 
Oh man, uh, a question after my own heart here. Which Lil Dicky verse best applies to Tua? This is such a tough question that I could spend hours thinking about, but I'm going to go off the top of my head here and go to a very recent, I think probably the most recent song that he has, he has produced, uh, the the joint with, with Gata, when it's called We Good, and at the very end he says, and what do we say to the haters and non-believers? And Gata shouts, thank you. That would be the verse that I would go with there for Tua, so he can just kind of put his head down, keep trucking, and keep putting in the work. All right, next question here from at Ramfin831. Who are you breaking the bank for during free agency? You know, something about the phrasing of that just makes me, and sorry to bring back bad memories here, but it makes me a little bit queasy, just breaking the bank on free agency. It's always a risky proposition. But if you want to know which potential free agents I like and who the hell knows who actually makes it to the market, I mentioned Ryan Jensen earlier. He's a free agent. I love his game. Devontae Adams is the best receiver in football, and he's currently scheduled for unrestricted free agency. That's a no-brainer pick. And man, just the entire receiving group. I think Chris Godwin's an absolute monster. I love, love, love Michael Gallup's game. Both those guys coming off ACLs, though. I'm a fan of Cam Robinson on the offensive line from Jacksonville. But this is all just conjecture until until we see who re-signs with their club, who gets tags, that sort of thing. First order of business, making decisions on our own guys. You know, Emmanuel Ogba, Mike Gesicki, and Nick Needham, three players up for contracts who have had big production here the last couple of years. At Rob E. Digital, what was your favorite piece of Miami Dolphins apparel growing up or ever? Hats, jackets, hoodies, t-shirts, jerseys, that kind of thing. And then he posted a great photo in the Twitter question of the GOAT himself, Coach Shula, in the famed starter jacket from the 90s. That has that has to be it right there. That's There's nothing else. But two other things that do come to mind. I was at my brother's house during Christmas, and he randomly had this Dolphins belt buckle that we had from like 1993 in his garage that I stumbled across when coming in from getting a, a water bottle out of his truck and my brother and I we always like all we got was sports memorabilia growing up so we always had every team every league and every sport everything that you could think of but the Dolphins were one that really became more and more prominent as we went along and we both became big fans because of all the Dolphins memorabilia we owned and I've never like worn belt buckles but for some reason I thought that belt buckle was so cool. And then finally, do you remember how you could write in and order things from Sports Illustrated? Like send in this and whatever, and you can get this, like sports bag or whatever. I got a Dolphins Super Bowl ring back in junior high and wore that thing like every single day. I'm not even sure if it was supposed to be for the 72 or 73 world champion teams or just pretend like in an alternate universe that it was recent. But I I loved that ring and I love that question. Thanks for asking it. Let's do two quick ones here at Meester Tweets. Now that you're in Miami, in the Miami area, you probably don't have any more use for Taco Bell. What used to be your go-to Taco Bell order on a late Saturday night back home? I did have it once when I got home. When I flew back from from the Northwest, there was it was like 1 a.m. and it was right next to my house, so I got it and I regretted it the minute I got it back to the house. But aside from the late night visits where you you know you ask the Uber to kind of pull in and make a quick stop on the way home, I really just stopped eating it in high school. But you know. I did used to have some of those fourth meals as they were and house some double deckers like nobody's business. I like to mix in the soft taco and cheesy gordita crunch as well. And don't sleep on the, what were those things called? The cinnamon twists. Those were pretty legendary as well. At Kevin MD4 asks if, if you watch Peaky Blinders, 
who are your favorite characters? I do not, Kev. I've heard good things. It's just not really my cup of tea. Does that apply here? I'm really into succession right now and finding Kendall to be one of the most interesting characters on the show. And a quick spoiler for those that have not but plan to watch succession. I really hope that in season two, spoiler coming right now, I really hope that he comes back and has some type of, what's the word I'm looking for? Some type of give back for what he did to the kid in season one. Like he, I, he needs to show some remorse and to, to kind of make good there. That's what I want to see from Kendall, but I'm really fascinated by him and Greg, uh, Greg Gregory. He's my favorite character by far, but no, I have not watched Peaky Blinders. I probably won't. All right, let's go ahead and take our last break here, and then we'll go ahead and jump into our Senior Bowl preview. It's Pass Catcher Day. Receivers and tight ends here next. Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. Senior Bowl is right around the corner, and I want to kind of hit the express version of this because I quickly realized how many players we have to cover here, and we jump right in with the national squad and the wideouts and Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Some have this guy as receiver one. He has phenomenal ball skills, can make every catch away from his frame, on his frame, in stride, the triangle, scooping it down low. Veteran type of route runner who already does it with both a cerebral approach and then the suddenness and explosiveness. And you have to have that combination to be a great route runner to snap that thing off right when you've opened up the DB. One of the best separators in this class. And he was charged with just two drops last year on pro football focus. First round draft pick all day long, Jahan Dotson. Bo Melton from Rutgers, a true burner. I imagine he'll test in the low 4-4s. He can open it up as a long strider, but also has the quick feet to win in a phone booth with a nice release package. 5'11", buck 95. Doesn't sound like a big receiver, but he's got kind of that Albert Wilson lower half build where he's very sturdy in his base and his legs allow him to kind of bounce off arm tacklers and really use that speed through traffic. Christian Watson from North Dakota State. Only saw him play one game this year was the FCS title game. We mentioned Melton at 5'11", 195. Watson's just 13 pounds heavier, dot, 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 at 6'5". Like like Melton, he should test in that 4'4 range, which is, he runs like a deer with, you know, the long-legged deer. Average 17.1 yards per catch. Big play receiver in a Bison offense that usually grinds you to a pulp, even when they had Lentz, uh, Wentz and Lance. They, they, their entire operations built off that running game, but his ability to play down the football field really helped them open up the passing game in that offense. Romeo Dobbs from Nevada, he'll join his teammate Carson Strong in Mobile. Much like the running backs, the traits here at receiver are pretty consistent. Explosive playmaker with plus run after the catch ability. Six foot two, twitched up, choppy feet. I'll be curious to see how he puts that to use at the line of scrimmage in these one-on-ones. All the small school kids, one-on-ones, that's my favorite part of Senior Bowl week. Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. Now, I did a I did get a good look at this receiver from this class, and he's a bit of a departure from our speed merchants earlier, in that he's six foot three, and those 50-50 balls are turned 70-30 balls with this type of receiver. If they got one-on-one with safety coverage rolling away, Ritter would go after Pierce, and usually successfully. And I want to keep a close eye on him because one of the toughest parts to me of evaluating receivers is projecting their contested catch ability and seeing how it translates. Because they make a lot of contested catches, it doesn't mean they can't separate, but can you find their separation package and skill set when you watch them in these one-on-one battles? On the other side, the American squad receivers, Calvin Austin the third from Memphis. Man, Memphis is pumping out some skill players. Tony Pollard, uh, Antonio Gibson, Anthony Miller. Here comes another one at five foot nine, 162. He's almost my size. Based on that, 
How do you think he wins? I mean, that's right. He's a flash. You think punt returner as a route runner with the ball in his hands. And I love Tutu Atwell last year. And of course, the common pushback is that he's under a buck 60, which is kind of unheard of. But some guys just know how to protect themselves and play at that size. And I think Austin can do that. Reggie Roberson Jr. from SMU. Two SMU receivers here. Speed, technician, volume guy in that SMU spread game. More speed you have here. I mean, you kind of have to be that type of athlete at this position to play these days, which is why I think you're getting so much carryover in these reports, but that's what he is, speed merchant for days. Danny Gray, also SMU, another sub 4-4 potential tester, and he pairs that with tremendous vertical ball skills. He tracks that thing a la Tyler Lockett. He's dynamic when stacking defensive backs and then tracking the ball to get himself into prime position and make a play on the football, and he also translates that speed to rack ability. He had a video game style touchdown against Texas Christian this past season. Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, the hometown kid, gets to play in his home stadium. I haven't seen him play, though. He was seventh in the country in receiving yards. Velas Jones Jr. from Tennessee, what a name that is. This week is so good for this receivers class because you're not going to see a lot of the consensus top 10 guys out there in terms of most people's big boards. And, you know, a handful of these guys will make an impact this year and in their careers. It always happens. And this week is so important because... You can start to see if their speed and suddenness can translate into a full NFL route tree. And if it stays fast at that level, if they can play against fellow NFL talent at that speed, that's what you're hoping to see for here with Velos Jones Jr. That was his game there for the Volunteers. Trey Turner from Virginia Tech. One guy that has shown his full skill set is Trey Turner. Natural hands, great body control, can make every route look the exact same, alter his releases, the timing up the stem. He's a nice looking prospect with inside outside versatility. I think smooth is the best way to describe his game. And then we have Dontario Drummond from Ole Miss. Great body composition slash speed profile. Playing with Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. I thought really expanded his profile in terms of running multiple concepts and attacking the football at all levels in the passing game. Great runner with the ball in his hands, football IQ, the whole thing. How about some tight ends here at the Senior Bowl? Big fan of this year's class. Love this year's class. Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin's a classic Y. If you want to line up in 12 personnel and get yourself an advantage with a good blocking tight end, Jake Ferguson's your guy, but he also offers some dual functionality in the passing game. He's a good tendency breaker type. You know that 12 personnel, 11 personnel, play him in, flex him out. His ball skills are are fantastic, and he has a little bit of juice when tracking the football in the air. Nice red zone target with huge, huge catch radius. Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State, the converse of Ferguson, an F tight end, a move tight end, whatever we're calling it. Phenomenal hands, wide receiver type of hands on this guy. And that said, with all the options Ohio State has to catch passes there, his opportunities were a little bit limited, but he also did plenty of blocking in Ryan Day's offense. I really like these first two guys I've mentioned here and a handful of others like Cole Turner from Nevada, another member of the Wolfpack. They've assembled in the desert. There's a joke there. He made a catch against Cal coming back down the stem of the route where he had his body a solid four feet off the ground, parallel to the ground, fully extended, making a catch like Ken Griffey Jr. going into the right center field gap at the Kingdom. Go Mariners. Ridiculous height, length, strong hands, ability to win detached and from the wide position. Love his game. Charlie Kohler from Iowa State. Basketball background, played every version of the tight end position, the H-back offset, flexed out, all that stuff. Imaginable for the Cyclone offense. Big catch radius, 14 touchdowns the last two years. He is a little bit undersized or in terms of his like build, but he knows how to use his length and, and to win with that size and kind of post up like a basketball player would. And then finally here from the national squad, Trey McBride from Colorado State. Rocked up, 
punishing blocker. He tacked on 20 pounds since arriving at Colorado State. He abuses safeties or corners if they try to match up with him, and you can really maintain your flexibility across personnel packages because he's arguably the best blocking tight end tight end in this class with real receiving skills. On the other side, the American squad, my favorite tight end in the class, Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. I love, love, love Likely. <laughs> that is a good joke. Uh, vacuums for hands can make catches on all types of throws. Like the ball, if it's in his vicinity, he'll pull that thing in away from the frame, going down low, in stride, plucking that up high, all of it. He can absolutely scoot too. He could possibly test four or five or sub. They used him as their primary target in a variety of routes. He can get vertical or make tough, tight window catches in a loaded tight end class. I think he has a chance to be the first one to go. Greg Dolchich from UCLA. Breakout 2020 season followed by a big 2021 season. A former walk-on receiver who tacked on mass and did not sacrifice movement in the process. He has an impressive wingspan and kind of like likely in terms of the off-the-frame catches and ability to pluck that thing. Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State. These guys always have a big blocking tight end. He generates a ton of drive in the running game. Not a real flex option in college, but he can win from the inline position. And don't get it twisted. This guy wants to play bully ball in the running game. And then finally, Grant Calcaterra from SMU. He might have a familiar sounding name. He was a big star at Oklahoma. Had to step away from the game because of some concussions and injuries. And he was one of the top receiving tight ends when he did retire. A true F piece, a true move tight end. He's a refined route runner with nuance to get on top of unsuspecting defenders. And he can really build speed in a hurry. We'll do the offensive line here on the next edition of the Drive Time Podcast and continue cranking these things out. We'll be on the ground there at the Senior Bowl providing you with some updates on practice and some some media availabilities and get to know this class a little bit better as we do throughout the entire process here on the podcast, really getting inundated with this draft class. We'll continue doing that this week and the following week, the following month, all the way up until April. So keep it locked here on the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins and check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. Check out our YouTube channel with Dolphins Today with me and Joanna Torres on there as well as Rachel Smith. And of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, Daddy is coming home.